Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. Alright guys, today I am beginning my second saga of the podcast. If you've been following my podcast since the beginning or even just here recently and you listen to it in order, you know that the first saga that I did was called The OGs of Kaiju which was pretty much, it was just a six-part saga that gives credit to the movies that pretty much helped turn the kaiju genre into what it is today. Well, if you've listened to my intro episode, pardon me, if you've listened to my intro episode, you know that there was a select amount of films that was really detrimental to me in becoming a kaiju fan. And many of those films, I say many of the films, it's not a whole, whole lot, but, you know, uh, a a chunk of the movies that I'm going to be doing in this saga, uh, I became a fan of them because my father was a traveling photographer, and I would go with him every now and then and camp out in hotels, you know, while he would be working and all of that. And you know, at night when it'd just be me, him, you know, um, my mother and my brother was there as well. We'd just be flipping through the channels trying to find a movie to watch. Uh, we, whenever I didn't grow up with a TV that could just flip a whole bunch of channels. So that was just awesome for me. And, you know, coincidentally enough, um, my dad is a Godzilla fan. He would find some of the old classic, uh, Showa era Godzilla films and there would be one on, and we would watch it, and that's, you know, that happened several times, and that helped me become the fan of the genre that I am now, and basically has me doing a podcast about these movies now. Uh, It was in a hotel where I first saw the 1933 King Kong, and, you know, after seeing those movies in the hotel, you know, my dad would go out, and he would buy a, a VHS, Every now and then, whenever he could find them, because I mean, like I'm, I'm, I live in Alexandria, Louisiana, you know, thing, things like that, especially in the uh, early '90s, just wasn't, it wasn't a big boom to just go to Walmart and be like, okay, here's the newest Godzilla movie, you know. So uh, uh, they were rare to find, and usually, whenever he would travel and he would find one, he would just simply bring it back, and we would be able to watch it. And so this saga is going to be dedicated entirely to the films that I either caught at the hotel whenever we would just be flipping channels or some of the VHSs that he brought back to the house and just the movie, the Godzilla movies that I watched as a kid. And I'm calling this saga the early years. I know that's not, you know, too great of a title, but I wanted to have some kind of title for the saga. (laughs) Pardon me again. And on today's episode, the very first one is going to be Mothra vs. Godzilla in 1964. Uh, That was made in 1964, I'm sorry. But this is one of the ones that I caught in a hotel. This was actually the second movie that I had seen with Mothra in it. The first movie I had seen with Mothra in it was Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. 
which I will be doing an episode about that one in this saga as well. And it's that one is one of my all-time favorite Godzilla films, not just of the Showa era, but ju- of the franchise, period. But, uh, so, yeah, for the OGs of Kaiju, I went in chronological order with the order that they were released with uh, King Kong and then Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and then the original Gojira, uh, Rodan, Mothra, and uh, Gamera the Giant Monster. With this one, I'm not really going to go in chronological order. I'm just going to I'm just going to do them as I as I feel like doing them. Just because I want to save the ones that meant the most to me whenever uh, I was younger. I want to kind of save them for last to kind of uh, you know be the climax of this saga, I suppose. And I like this one. I like Mothra vs. Godzilla. <clears throat> uh, I rewatched it prior to recording this episode, and it still holds up. Um, yeah, like I mean, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, I know a lot of people. If you're not a diehard fan of the franchise, and you didn't really grow up on Showa era Godzilla movies, I know the Showa era can be difficult for people to watch. I'm aware of that, but. Trust me, guys, like, if you haven't seen this yet, go give it a watch, you know, appreciate it for what it is, you know, don't expect to go in there and see this Academy Award winning uh, film, but it's a good movie, it's a very good, fun monster movie. And the last little thing I'm going to say before I actually jump into the movie is that, unfortunately, the big thing about my episodes is that I discuss the production mostly on what goes on with these movies. You know, I talk about the various uh, script rights and rewrites and then pretty much production from start to finish, uh, post-production. And, you know, I pretty much always wrap up with Legacy. But the pretty the core of my episodes are production most of the time. And unfortunately... This happened with Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and it's happening with this one. The production was extremely smooth for this movie, so there's not a whole lot of information that... I mean, they a script was written. Ishiro Honda took that script and rewrote it to where how he wanted it, and that pretty much became the final draft. And they started shooting, and everything went smooth. So I'm not going to be able to actually talk about production as much as I normally do. I have a pretty good amount of information about this movie. And it's really just kind of like fun facts and trivia and stuff like that. So the the structure of this episode is going to be very different from most of my other ones. But it's just mainly because, you know, the main talking point that I always talk about just is basically non-existent in this film. So, all right, guys, I know I've wasted y'all's, enough of y'all's time, uh, y'all rambling, I mean, listening to me ramble about all that. So, <clears throat> let's get started on the movie. So, Mothra vs. Godzilla. It, was, it came out in 1964. This was the fourth movie in the Godzilla franchise. The other, Naturally, there was the 1954 original Gojira. Then there was Godzilla Raids again. That was a direct sequel to that one. And then there was Godzilla, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla in 1962. And so this one uh, came out about two years after King Kong versus Godzilla. Ishiro Honda, 
returns once again as the director of the film. And Akira Takarada returns to be in this movie. He had not been in a Godzilla. He ends up starring in a pretty decent amount of Godzilla uh, movies from this point forward. But he had only been in the original 1954 Gojira uh, at this point in time. He was the main star of the movie. And whenever he would come back to other Godzilla movies... Most of the time, he would end up being the main star, just simply playing a different character. Uh, He's been in quite a few Godzilla films, and I'm actually planning on doing a spotlight episode on his career in the Godzilla franchise one day in the future. So if if you're interested in listening to that, there you go. But so Akira Takarada returns, first time coming back to the franchise since the original film. Uh, Haruo Nakajima returns once again to play Godzilla. This would be the fourth time that he's played Godzilla, but he's no stranger to playing Kaiju at this point in time because this is his fourth time to play Godzilla, but he also played Rodan in the original Rodan film, and he played uh, the head of Mothra in the original Mothra film. So this is actually his sixth time returning to play a Kaiju Uh for Toho. <clears throat> and the Peanuts return once again. The famous singers who play the uh, the twin little girls uh, in the Mothra franchise. Uh, well, for for a, uh, a while in the franchise anyway. Uh, they return once again. Now, how this movie came about <clears throat> was... It was kind of like lightning in a bottle, really. This, this movie wasn't supposed to happen, and it was created kind of like out of sheer desperation like so what happened was in 1962 king kong versus godzilla came out it was going to be it was toho's first crossover film that they did uh it was kind of like a east versus west kind of scenario kaiju versus kaiju the american king kong versus the japanese godzilla and it was a huge success like people like people just loved it uh, to this day, it's still my favorite Godzilla movie. Like, I love King Kong versus Godzilla. And <clears throat> originally, you know, the movie ends... Toho officially claims that King Kong is the winner of the film, but let's be honest here. Whenever you watch the ending of the movie, you can absolutely make the argument that it ended in a draw. Like, no matter no matter what Toho wants to say about it, it seems like it ended in a draw. Just simple as that. After that movie came out and it was so successful, Toho originally wanted to do a direct sequel to that movie and simply call it King Kong vs. Godzilla, The Continuation. The only problem with that is is that they only had the rights at the time to King Kong to do one film. And so they did King Kong vs. Godzilla, naturally. And whenever they started digging into what it would take to get the rights again for a whole nother movie, it proved to be very, very difficult. And RKO really wasn't willing to negotiate or make any, you know, they were making crazy demands and all of that. And so Toho decided to abandon the project. Like, okay, well, we're just, we're just not going to do it. We'll just call that the end. Well, uh, 
since that movie was so successful, part of the re well, I'm sorry guys, I know I'm getting tongue twisted here. Part of the reason that movie was so successful was because it introduced the versus scenario that would be used many, 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 many times moving forward in the Godzilla franchise. Yes, in Godzilla Raids again, it's called Godzilla Raids again, but basically, let's be honest here, it's Godzilla versus Anguirus. Um, but that movie wasn't really marketed as this is a kaiju versus kaiju kind of thing. It was just, you know, it was going to be a follow-up to Godzilla because of its popularity. They happened to throw another kaiju in there that he was going to fight and everything. Um, it wasn't built around the versus scenario. Whenever King Kong versus Godzilla came out, it was built around the versus scenario. It was the first film to actually have the versus in the title and all of that. And so Toho really liked that idea. They liked going with having just having two monsters go up against each other and that basically being the whole premise of the movie. Like, let's not worry about much of anything else. Let's just worry about these two monsters fighting each other and the lead up and build up to those monsters meeting and eventually fighting each other. <clears throat> so they couldn't get King Kong back from RKO, so they decided, well, let's just not mess with trying to, you know, go the legal route of trying to get another kaiju from another company and all that. We already have two other kaiju that were in standalone movies that we did. One was Rodan, the other was Mothra. Ultimately, they decided to go with Mothra because Mothra was more fresh. The movie had just come out uh, in 1961. I believe. And so audiences were more familiar with Mothra than they were with Rodan. And also because in the original Rodan, there were two Rodans and both of them seemingly die. And so they wouldn't really planning at the time to revive Rodan just yet. They eventually did, but they wouldn't planning to just yet. So they decided to go with Mothra. And, you know, because Mothra was very, very popular. It was popular in Japan it was popular over here in the States whenever they released it uh, over here. Uh, it really hit off with women and little girls, whereas Godzilla was very popular amongst men and little boys. So they figured putting Godzilla up against Mothra, that would, you know, that would pretty much bring everybody in. Like men, women, and little boys and little girls, like it would just bring everybody in and they could all enjoy this movie. So they got with Ishiro Honda. They wanted him to direct once again. And Ishiro Honda is the man that decided he wanted this movie to target kids as opposed to adults. At this point in time, the other three movies in the franchise had been more adult. There was a lot of death. There was a lot of destruction. Uh, in King Kong versus Godzilla, a little bit more comedy was added than what normally was in a Godzilla movie, but it was still considered to be a very serious, like, adult movie. This is the movie where they decided, we want to target children. Ishiro Honda is the one that wanted to do this. And I know there's a lot of people out there, whenever it concerns the Showa-era Godzilla films, that they kind of get upset that the Showa era kind of went more the little kid route 
the longer it went on because they they liked whenever it was serious. They liked whenever there was, you know, a lot of death, a lot of destruction, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you can thank Ishiro Honda for that. He's the one that wanted to target kids because one of the reasons he wanted to target kids was because television, not movies, television was becoming to was really becoming a big boom in Japan. And most of the TV shows that were coming out were aimed at kids. And they were being they were massive successes. And so he wanted to try and get in on that. So whenever he took the director's job for this movie, he pretty much stated up front, I want to try and target this more towards kids, but also make it a movie that adults could also enjoy. That way we can pretty much encompass the entire fan base instead of alienating one or the other. And Toho approved it. And so they they went with it. And a script was written for the film. Like I said earlier, Ishiro Honda got it. Uh, he took some things out. He changed some things here and there. Uh, one of the big major things that he changed was that at the beginning of the film, everybody that's seen the film knows that Mothra's egg washes up on shore and they get it, they put it in containment to try and figure out what it is and all of that. In the original script, it was actually Godzilla that was supposed to wash up on shore because if you've seen King Kong versus Godzilla, the movie ends with them falling into the ocean, Kong swimming away, Godzilla is nowhere to be seen. So picking up right where that movie would leave off was, you know, Godzilla washing up ashore from their fight. And they was going to get Godzilla and actually put him in containment. And then he was going to wake up, break free from the containment, and just pretty much go on rampage like he always did. Um, you know, early on in these Showa-era films. Ishiro Honda didn't like that. He didn't think that it made a whole lot of sense. Because Godzilla is supposed to be a very heavily radiated monster. And so he just didn't think it made a whole lot of sense to where he would just walk, wash up on shore and everybody would be like, all right, well, let's just pick up this monster that's covered from head to toe in radiation that could kill every single one of us and uh, build a little structure around him and all of that. So Shiro Honda didn't like it, took it out, decided to change it to where Mothra's egg is what washed up on shore instead of Godzilla. <clears throat> um, as far as the Godzilla suit, this is one of the more popular... Uh, Godzilla suits like it's it's very memorable a lot of people you know like it um, they pretty much built it from you know from scratch the 1962 suit that they used it's uh, been dubbed by fans as King Goji they for whatever reason they decided not to use it that was the only film that the King Goji suit was used as like the main suit and so they just didn't want to go with that one. So they decided we're just going to build one entirely from scratch. And whenever they built this one, you know, it still looks slightly different. But this was the first Godzilla movie that, you know, went the route of that classic Showa-era Godzilla look. Pretty much from this point on, he would kind of look extremely similar, like... Sometimes they'd build a new suit. Sometimes they would just use the same suit from the, the previous movie. But beginning with this movie, he had his classic Showa look, which, you know, to a lot of people is the quintessential Godzilla look. And 
so this is the movie that pretty much started that. Uh, Haruo Nakajima had input on creating the suit. Um, one of the main things that he wanted, he wanted it to be more fluid. He wanted better movement because in all of the other Godzilla suits that he had done, he just, they were bulky, they were kind of heavy, and he wasn't too too crazy about it. So he actually had a lot of input to put on the suit to where it would be uh, more fluid and give him more movement <clears throat> and and all of that. And the suit was built two months prior to them actually filming the movie. Now, the 1962 King Goji suit was used a little bit in this movie. It was used just for the water scenes, like anytime Godzilla would be in the water or whatever, they would use that. And there's a scene where Godzilla falls off of a cliff, they used the suit for that one. So they did recycle the King Goji suit just a little bit, but it wasn't, it definitely was not the main suit that was used in the movie. Now, naturally, let's talk about Mothra, because this is Mothra versus Godzilla. You know, they had created props for Mothra with the original film, the whatever, she's in her moth form, that was completely animatronic and everything. Uh, nobody, like, it was controlled entirely by wires and all that, but the larva state was this big giant costume that took, I believe it was seven people to control. And Haruo Nakajima was at the head, and then there was other people behind it, and they would all, kind of like a Chinese dragon uh, performance, and that's pretty much how they controlled the larva in the original film. Toho did not want to go that route this time. They just thought it was too difficult to coordinate all seven guys trying to do whatever. So they created a <clears throat> uh, two new props. One prop was for Mothra in her actual moth form, and instead of using wires, you know, before they had attached wires at the base of the wings, and they would just pull the wires to give her the, uh, like, uh, she was flying, like making her wings flap and everything. Well, this time they put a motorized bracket on her back, and they would just have to put a button, and the bracket would move up and down, and that would cause her wings to uh, flap, as opposed to you know, pulling wires in unison. And this time, the head and the legs of the Mothra prop were completely controlled by a remote control. Like, so they're, you know, technology is really starting to uh, to benefit Toho with these props. They're not having to send guys in there and, like, put their hands on every single thing that's being done. Like, they're actually, you know, beginning to utilize better technology to uh, make these kaiju look better. Now, the larva was mostly used, like, what they mostly used for the larva was uh, hand puppets and <clears throat> a motorized version of the worm. There was not actually people in the larva this time controlling it and moving it like in the original film. And how they actually used the prop most of the time was they used a conveyor belt. Like, they would put it on a conveyor belt, and it would move, and they would put little, like, little blocks on the conveyor belt, and as the worm would go over, I'm sorry, the larva would go over the uh, props, or the little blocks, <clears throat> it would give it, like, that worm kind of movement, like it's crawling, like that up and down motion and everything, and... That's pretty much how they made it move. They would just put it on there, 
you know, they could raise the head by remote control and everything. And as it would go down the conveyor belt, it would go over these blocks and like it would make that wavy worm type motion. And that's pretty much how they how they made that uh, work. But um, <clears throat> if they didn't do that, you know, they did just utilize a hand puppet for uh, the larva. And there was a few instances where they used a hand puppet for Godzilla as well for some faraway shots. Um, Peanuts, again, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they returned. And, you know, it's kind of weird, you know, because in Godzilla... In the Godzilla franchise, what Godzilla is most well known for is a guy in a suit and they build miniature sets to make them appear like giants. And in the case of the Peanuts, it was completely opposite. They would build giant sets to make it appear as if they were, you know, itty bitty, only about maybe six inches tall or so. And uh, so for the, whenever they would build the sets, for uh, the peanuts to make them appear small, the giant furniture or surroundings or whatever it was that they would build, they would be eight times their normal size so that it would make them seem like uh, they were so much smaller. And for this movie, an optical printer was purchased just to, you know, make things look a little bit more smooth, a little bit more flashy, and it was with this uh, optical printer that Godzilla's uh, atomic breath was used for this movie. And that's why it looks, the atomic breath looks a lot smoother, a lot better. They don't have to kind of do like cutaway scenes whenever he shoots his atomic breath. He can just be walking and then boom, he hits the atomic breath and then he just keeps going because they were able to utilize this printer to just put the atomic breath directly into the shot uh, as opposed to having this film shots specifically to say this is whenever he uses his atomic breath and we're going to have to touch this one up during uh, post-production and everything. <clears throat> now, just like the Godzilla suit, the 1961 Mothra suit was also recycled a little bit. It was used for the Infant Island scenes and just like the new prop that was built that had a bracket for the wings, they decided to uh, put a bracket on the original Mothra suit to let its wings be motorized as opposed to using the wires and everything again. Um, so that's pretty much it with the suits. Now, one big problem that they had with the Godzilla suit was, you know, even though Haruo Nakajima had... <clears throat> had input on the suit and they built a whole new suit from scratch and Haruo tested it out, said it was good. Whenever it actually came time to start shooting, they discovered his tail was far too heavy and they couldn't really make another one because the, the suit was completely put together. And quite frankly, uh, Godzilla movies, they run very, very close as far as budget goes. So a lot of times they just don't have time to remake something or, you know, like, oh, well, that tail's too heavy. Well, let's just create a whole new tail kind of thing. Like they just couldn't, they couldn't do it. And so they, it just made things very difficult to shoot because a lot of times, you know, they'd be trying to pick up the tail with the wires and just because it was so heavy, it didn't look natural. It looked like they were intentionally just picking up like 
you know, a really long sandbag kind of thing. And <clears throat> so that made things pretty difficult to shoot. And so a lot of times, <clears throat> pardon me, a lot of times whenever they would shoot, they would, they had cameras in multiple different angles around Godzilla whenever they would be shooting a particular scene. And if something proved to be super, super difficult, they would just stop. And then because they had like five or six cameras surrounding Godzilla, they would just take what they shot and say, okay, that shot is good enough. And then whenever they went to put it into the movie, they would just simply change the angles to make it appear that it was a much longer scene, but in actuality, it was just the same old scene, and they would just show it from three or four different angles. And so that's um, that's what happened there. Another thing about this movie that <clears throat> kind of makes it look weird here and there, and why they decided to do it this way, I'll never know. There are certain scenes where, for some reason, they speed up the motion of like Mothra flying away. There's a few scenes where they uh, speed up Godzilla doing some motions. And even though it's live action and these they're mechanical props and these guys in suits, whenever they speed it up like that, it kind of gives it like a stop motion kind of look. And so some people were, uh, they cr it was criticized for that by, <clears throat> by some people. Now, the egg that uh, Mothra's egg is used, believe it or not, the egg is made from styrofoam. And how they actually, uh, it was pretty ingenious how they actually hollowed out the egg. Like they, they took this big styrofoam ball, they shaped it to be like an egg, made it look however in the world they wanted it to look, and painted it and everything. And then how they hollowed it out was they would take a hot wire stick it into the egg and then just move the uh the wire around and melt the um the insides of the egg and they did that until it became hollow and then they were like okay boom we got us our egg <laughs> and uh the opening scene of the movie <clears throat> you know with the storm was shot in toho's giant pool they had a, they had a giant tank that was you know basically a pool that they would shoot many of their water scenes for many of their movies. And to shoot that one, they built the miniature set of like the docks and uh, the little city and all that. And they just simply drained the pool a little bit to make it shallow and then put the set in there and then would just utilize, you know, the waves looked far more menacing with shallow water as opposed to with deep water. And so whenever you watch that scene, know that they're doing it in a, a very shallow pool. Like, I, th I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> so yeah, guys, I mean, that pretty much does it for, you know, how the suits were built and, and all of that. And then as far as like production goes, everything went, went pretty smooth. But the only thing that was actually like a problem during production was the castle that Godzilla goes to attack. It had to be reshot many, many times. <clears throat> whenever Godzilla goes to attack it initially, Haruo Nakajima, whenever he's trying to destroy it, he couldn't destroy it all the way. It was just, it was built too well. And so they had to build, they had to build a, rebuild the castle, just put it all back together. And then they actually had two men on the other side of the castle, and they had very, very long poles. And whenever Godzilla was going to come and attack, then they were going to help, they were going to push the castle 
in certain places with the poles and to pretty much make it collapse, make it seem like Godzilla was the one destroying it. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I keep clearing my throat. But um, even though they did, they took those measures to have those guys in there, they still ended up having to reshoot it three more times after that because the first time they were in there, the guys, they missed their cue, and before Godzilla even touched the castle, they pushed on it and it started falling apart. So they had to rebuild it yet again. And then this other time, like right after that, Godzilla comes over, he starts attacking it, and you know, Haruo Nakajima's hitting it with everything he's got, and it's not really falling apart all that much because the guys missed their cue again, and they was about two or three seconds late in pushing the poles yet again. And so after it was rebuilt one more time, they actually got the shot right, and the castle was destroyed in the way it needed to be destroyed. And... <clears throat> Other than that, there really wasn't any issues uh, with production. Everything went pretty good. So, naturally, there was an Americanized version of the movie that was made. But unlike most Showa-era Godzilla films, this the American version stays pretty true to the original Japanese version. Like, naturally, there was a few scenes added. There were some scenes that were cut or just simply shortened. But for the most part... Like, it's, <clears throat> it's pretty true to its source material. Uh, the dub is considered to be one of the best American dubs of the Godzilla movies. Like, you know, usually you watch a, a dubbed, uh, an English dubbed Godzilla movie and you're just like, oh my god, like, this is, this is horrible. I can barely stand this. But this one was actually good. It's like the, the voice actors really put everything they had into this movie. And they did good. Now, believe it or not, there was a heavy amount of marketing <clears throat> for this movie here in America. Because the original Mothra film was also very popular here in America. There was a huge marketing campaign for the original Mothra film whenever it came out. And so they wanted to try and do that. But since they were going off of the whole versus scenario, they thought what would be really cool would be to keep... Godzilla's opponent a secret. And so in promotional posters that they would make, they would they would show a picture of Godzilla in the poster, but then where Mothra was supposed to be, they would actually have a big block over Mothra, and it would actually say censored on there so that people would see it. And even the title was changed from Mothra versus God. Mothra versus Godzilla to Godzilla versus the Thing, to where people just American people just did not know who he was going to be fighting, and so they're like, okay, well let's go check out the movie, let's go see who he's who he's throwing down with, and in the American dub, they went so far as to try and keep it a secret in the American dub. Mothra is never referred to as Mothra other than whenever the Peanuts are doing the Mothra song. Any other time in the movie, they, they exclusively refer to Mothra as the thing. And, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool that, uh, <laughs> that they, America went so far to market this movie to, you know, make it to where... Um, Mothra was censored and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just I just thought that was pretty cool myself. Um, 
As far as the reception of the movie goes, the plot is not really very well received by many critics. I don't know why. I think the plot was pretty good myself. A lot of fans really enjoy the movie. But the movie was not well received as far as plot goes or as far as acting goes. The special effects, however, were very, very, very well received. And at the time... You know, for other Toho Godzilla movies, the special effects, everybody was just kind of blown away by how good it looked, how well everything worked out together. And, you know, at this point in time, in 1964, for Toho, those type of special effects was state-of-the-art. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't get any better than that, basically. <clears throat> so, alright guys, I'm just going to give like a few little fun facts now about the movie it's not too too many um there is a scene in the movie and i remember first seeing this movie whenever i was a kid and i remember being kind of freaked out by it it didn't like emotionally scar me or anything but i remember it just kind of blew my mind because i wasn't expecting it uh godzilla's face catches on fire in this movie and the reason why is because whenever they was doing um like a firebomb attack, they were using flaming liquid to help make the fire look more menacing and more raging than what it actually was. And some of that liquid splashed and got on Godzilla's face and it caused his face, like there's a very brief scene where you can see his face is on fire. And I remember whenever I was a little kid, that just like, that was the first time, you know, I didn't know it was a blooper. You know, I mean, like, I'm five, six years old. I, I'm At this point, I'm thinking Godzilla's a real character and all that. And um, just to see him on fire like that, it just kind of, I was like, whoa. Because I had never seen Godzilla at that point in time in my life take, like, a huge amount of damage that would be lasting on him like that. And so to see to see him on fire, I was like, man, it just blew my little, my little kid mind. Um, <clears throat> the suit... As I said about the 1962 suit, it is nicknamed King Goji by the fans. This suit is nicknamed Masu Goji, naturally, because Masu is a Japanese for moth, and Goji is, you know, just a nickname for Godzilla, so this one was just simply, like, Moth Godzilla, because of what the movie is. Um, one of the things that people instantly know or recognize about this particular suit are the lips for Godzilla. They move around a lot. Like, they flop around a lot. And it's the only movie where it has them has them do that. Now, they were not originally supposed to be like that. What actually happened was, while they were shooting a scene, I, I don't know what scene it was in particular, it was just, you know, some random scene, Haruo Nakajima actually tripped and fell. <clears throat> and he hit the head... Like, his head hit some kind of prop, and it caused the teeth on the inside of the mask to kind of come loose from the lips. And so whenever he got up and started moving around, Ishiro Honda noticed that the lips were jiggling and moving and all of that, and he thought it gave, like, another sense of realism to Godzilla. And so he decided, hey, we're going to keep this in here. I, won't, I like that. I like the way it looks. It, you know, let's just roll with it. And so that's what they decided to do, and that's why Godzilla's lips uh, jiggle around so much in the movie was just simply because 
Haruo Nakajima lost his footing and uh, bailed out. Um, <clears throat> now, this uh, film actually marks the final time in the Showa-era Godzilla films that Godzilla is a full-on villain of the movie. Like, you know, like I said, way at the beginning of this episode, this was the one where, like, Ishiro Honda wanted to kind of start aiming it more towards children as opposed to adults. And, you know, this is the last one. They wanted to try and make the transition for him, from him being a villain to a good guy uh, after this film. And so this is the last one of the Showa era where Godzilla is truly considered to be a villain of the franchise. <clears throat> The very next movie that uh, they released in the same year as this one, which was Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, was whenever they full-on made the transition to Godzilla being a hero, and it would be, it would be that way for the rest of the Showa era. <clears throat> uh, naturally, they wanted to try and add some comedic stuff into this movie, because they were trying to aim towards children, and that's why there's the very iconic scene, you know, love it or hate it, I'm kind of indifferent to it, to be perfectly honest with you, where not long after Godzilla first shows up, his tail gets caught in a tower, and he's pretty much stuck. He can't move. This giant, radiation-filled monster gets the tip of his tail stuck in a tower, that normally he would just be able to walk over like it was nothing, and he cannot budge. And whenever he finally does jerk his tail loose, he uh, he stumbles forward. The tower falls down, hits him like you know in the back, and he gets knocked into another building. It was just this real weird like, why in the world would you put that into the movie? It just seemed out of left field, and. Ishiro Honda did that because he wanted to try and add some comedy into the movie. And he thought that, oh, let's just have Godzilla get stuck and then trip and fall and people will think it's funny. But it kind of had like the opposite effect. Everybody just kind of was like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you would, why you would do that. And so, yeah, that's pretty much the most well-known scene of the movie and that's why... Uh, it was done. And moving forward with uh, the next movie, that's whenever more comedy actually, like intentional comedy, actually started being put into the movies to appeal to the kids and everything like that. Like, there is a scene. I'm going to do an episode on Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster eventually. It's not going to be part of this saga, but I'm just going to mention this right here. Like, you know, whenever they decide to make Godzilla make the transition from villain to hero... And to make it more child-friendly and all that. That's why in Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, there is a full-on, whenever it's Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra all facing off against uh, Ghidorah, there's a scene in which Godzilla is shadowboxing at Ghidorah. Like, you know, kind of like, bring it on, let's go, dude. And like, it shows, like, the camera goes down to his feet and he's doing, like, boxing footwork and all of that. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And, uh... You can pretty much thank this movie for beginning that trend, even though Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster is the one that officially, like, went that route. It was Mothra versus Godzilla that actually 
began that trend and set the franchise on that route that it was going to go. Another little bit of um, <clears throat> uh, fun fact here is that this was one, the only Godzilla movie to be released in Japan and in America in the same exact year for years and years and years. Like, this had it, and then, because any other time, it would be like, okay, we're going to release this movie, and then it would be about, in Japan, then it would be about a year and a half or two years later before it would make its way over to America. Like, uh, the original 1954 Gojira naturally came out in 54 in Japan, did not come here to the States until 56. Um, <clears throat> King Kong vs. Godzilla was released in 1962 in Japan. I believe it was 1963, 64, one of those. It was 63 or 64 before it was released here in the States. This movie, since they wanted to push the whole, you know, it being Mothra and Godzilla in the same film, this big crossover event, they actually spearheaded everything that they needed to to where it was released in Japan in 1964 and then released in the States also in 1964. Another Godzilla movie did not make this happen until 2016 with Shin Godzilla. So that's, that's pretty cool to me. And... <clears throat> Uh, the score for this movie is actually the movie that pretty much begins the use of Godzilla's very iconic theme that everybody knows and loves like there's no tomorrow. And I love this particular version of the theme that's in the movie. In the original Japanese version of King Kong vs. Godzilla, you can kind of hear it here and there, but it was removed from the American version of the movie. So whenever this movie came out, they left the score pretty much completely intact for the movie. And so this was the movie that Godzilla's iconic theme was heard for the first time outside of Japan. And, all right, guys, that pretty much wraps it up. I know that the format of this episode was very, you know, not like my normal episodes. I really wish I could have... Uh, talked more about the production because I definitely enjoy talking more about the production more than just kind of giving these little footnotes like I did for this episode. But I mean, you know, it happens sometimes, uh, you know, for the sake of making a movie, sometimes production goes as smooth as it could possibly go. And while that's good for them making the movie is bad for somebody like me that likes talking about all the problems that uh, they had during production. So that pretty much wraps it up for Mothra versus Godzilla 1964. I have not yet decided what my next episode is going to be next week. I will be making a post about it on my Facebook page. <clears throat> if you do not follow me on Facebook, uh, it's called Kaiju Carnage. has the same exact profile picture as my podcast, so just go uh, find that. Give me a like. Give me a follow. I'm constantly posting uh, updates on Kaiju news, whether it's video games or comic books that are announced or... Um, you know, upcoming movies. I post a lot of fan art on there. I really try to give credit to the artist whenever I can, but unfortunately sometimes I just find the picture either on Facebook or on Google whenever I'm just looking and I cannot find who the actual artist is. And so I'll just post it. But whenever I do know who the artist is, I try to give credit. And 
Uh, all right, guys. Uh, if you have any criticisms for the podcast, by all means, go ahead and shoot me a message. Let me know. I'm always open to criticism. I'm always, you know, I mean, this podcast, I enjoy doing this podcast, but really it's for you guys. You guys are the ones that's tuning in to listen to it. So if there's something that you want to see me do better or something that you don't want to see me do at all, you know, shoot me a message about it. I'll consider it. I'll see about, you know, if it's something that's worth changing or not. And, you know, we'll move forward. So, all right, guys, thanks for tuning in once again. And we'll catch you all in the next episode. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy, signing out.